<laughs> so let me ask that question again now that we're past all that. <laughs> Does anyone here struggle with busyness? You can raise your hand. So we just know we're all in the same boat here, right? It's pretty crazy, right? Um, <laughs> I mean, if you really think about it, from the time we really start to function as responsible people, which I want to say is middle school, but I work with some middle schoolers, and that, that might be a stretch. Um, but but is, is the, the moment we start to like act as responsible people, we begin to feel the, this pressure of all these responsibilities, right? And, and it's amazing what we load ourselves down with. And maybe it's not so much what we, we, we put on ourselves that's surprising, but more how much. You know, people ask me about my job all the time. I, I appreciate that. They check up on me. You know, they ask, Drew, you know, how's, how's, how are things at Rimrock going? How's, you know, how are, how's the high school ministry? How's the college ministry? How's everything going? And, and you know what my first response to them, I pretty much almost every time is busy. But good. I always throw that word in there, right? I always say it's busy, but good. <laughs> Careful to make sure I throw that in there, you know? Um, and, you know, I know for my wife and I, and the way our schedules are, we, we really are pretty busy. It's not just something I say. Uh, you know, at least four or five nights out of the week, we have something going on. Um, that, that might be pretty similar to some of you. We don't have kids, so I know we don't have that pressure on ourselves. So it's not like we're overly unique. We're not, I'm not saying that I'm busier than you. We'll get to that, kind of why we even talk about that. Um, you know, but we fill our schedule up with, schedules up with all these things, right? And, and, and almost all these things are good, aren't they? Almost all, okay? And I throw that word in there every time. I'm very careful. <laughs> uh, they're good. I remember a few summers ago, uh, I was uh, um, just, just the kind of how our schedules worked out that year. Um, it was crazy. We were actually gone. My wife and I were actually gone and out of town doing something more than, more than we were actually at home over a three-month period. I mean, that's pretty crazy if you think about it. Over three months, 90 days, we were away from our house, away doing something more than we were actually at home. And even that time we were at home, we were probably pretty busy, right? But, you know, between like ministry things, uh, weddings that we had to go to, family events, whatever it was, we were gone away doing things more than we were at home resting. And, you know, and here's the thing. We just live, we live in a busy culture, okay? And I, and I know I do it to myself most of the time. But I also know that you can all relate to this because you all just were raising your hands because I, I, I understand that about your lives and you weren't lying to me there, so I appreciate that. But, you know, I work with high schoolers, so I know how busy they can be between school, sports, jobs, homework, etc., planning for college, doing scholarship stuff, slacking off and pretending like they're doing all those things. Like, I understand how busy they can get. I, I work with college students, and most of them just take that all, to a whole new other level of all that stuff that they have to do. You know, I work with parents of my students who, who bog themselves down with work, extracurriculars with their kids, among a lot of other good things. And we could go around the room and talk for hours about all the good things we fill our schedules with. Guys, and most of us would think that, okay, those things are pretty reasonable, right? Because this is America, and it's 2016. That's just life for us. That's just our culture. We're in a series right now looking at that very culture versus the Bible. Not in like a combative way, but really to look at our lives and our culture compared to what and who we are called to be in Scripture. And I, I think this is always a tough task because it's hard to, to gauge the gap between the culture when Scripture was written and, and our culture now. But I think that when we truly examine it, we can really learn about ourselves and our hearts. 
okay? Because that's really what it comes down to is our hearts, okay? Obviously, things are different now than they were two, three, four thousand years ago. We, that goes without saying, but people's hearts are the same, okay? And so what I want to do today is really look at this concept of busyness versus stillness. When we, and when we look at our culture, guys, we could see that it's just a busy culture, and, and I don't have to even really go on about that, but... Um, but when we examine scripture, we see so much more of an emphasis on stillness. And stillness, not just for stillness sake, but stillness before God and keeping our priorities right. And the contrast is pretty extreme if you think about it. I mean, we actually tend to judge a person, a person by how much they're doing. And we don't always do this intentionally, but we do do it. I remember having this conversation with the guy at my last church that I worked at. We were uh, moving stuff around after an Easter service. And I remember he told me, he said, man, we sure pay you a lot for only working one day out of the week. <laughs> now, obviously, he didn't understand my job. I mean, come on, I at least work two days out of the week. I, I'm here tonight, all right? I'm here on Wednesdays. It's fine. Um, but, you know, I, I didn't really blame him for, for thinking because he didn't know what I did. He didn't understand my job. He was just there helping out. He didn't know. And he's probably just trying to be a jerk, but that's okay. <laughs> you know, but what struck, what struck me is that when, he, when he, uh, he didn't just stop there, he went on and told me about how busy he was with this company that he was running. And, and he, he inferred that because he was busier than I was, he should be kind of held in higher regard. And because he, he thought I wasn't busy, um, and, and that I really shouldn't be as validated for what I do because he does more. You know, he's kind of joking, but deep down inside, I think he was a little serious. He was being truthful for where his heart was at. But, you know, if you really think about it, that's the way people think. Uh, you know, I've seen others, I, I found it in myself, getting into these discussions where we're almost trying to prove to one another who's busier. It's kind of crazy, right? Have anybody ever been in that conversation? You're like, well, be, oh, no, I got this going on and this, and then we like kind of goes back and forth. We start comparing. But what I found is as a culture, guys, is that we treat busyness like a badge of honor, and we treat stillness like a cone of shame. Like, it's like the busier we are, the, the, better, we, like, the better we are as human beings, I guess. And it's kind of sad because we're judging each, other, each other's value based on something that we all complain about all the time right? Like we always complain, man, I'm so busy. Yet we use that to judge each other on the, our value as individuals. We're funny human beings. I don't, it's just funny how we do this. You know, I did some research on this. This is, this is funny. And I'm going to come down on all of you and myself here. Um, I did some research. Americans are only using 51% of their paid vacation days. Okay, think about that for a second. Okay. 49% of paid vacation days, days that you don't have to be at work but still get paid to be at work, aren't being used. Everyone go like this and go like this. <laughs> Guys, I'm not even saying you have to go on vacation. I understand vacation can be expensive. You could just be at home getting paid to take a nap or just take some time around the hills or go watch the Masters Golf Tournament like I did today, okay? You know, while getting paid, are you listening? Like, paid vacation. But 51% of Americans aren't using all that they're, they're given through their jobs. This is just nuts, okay? We need to change this in our culture. Guys, and I, here's the thing, is I struggle with the same thing. I remember I was toward the end of last year, and um, Mike emailed me, say, hey, you had like all this vacation left, you got to use it. I was like, I don't want to use it. Wait a second, what did I just say to myself? <laughs> but why? Why do we treat it like this? Because I think we got to look at that. What's the why? 
Because it's obviously a thing in our culture, but why? What I think it comes down to, guys, is that we live in a performance-based world. Okay, I think because of the way our culture works, we want to live the American dream and be as successful as possible. And we have convinced ourselves that success is only equal to the amount of work that we do. And if we aren't busy all the time, then we aren't doing what we need to be to be success or need to do to be successful. Because this really comes down to our priorities, what's important to us. I think sometimes we don't even ask that question. Life just kind of dictates it. But really asking what is important to me? What's important to me as a family, as a church? Is it, is it being successful in our professional careers? Or, or as we're going to look at in some scripture tonight, is it putting our priority on Jesus Christ and being willing to take some time to stop, take a deep breath, and just be with God, regardless of our own plans and our own schedules? Hope you guys are challenged by that tonight. Let me pray real quick before we dive into this text. Father God, Lord, I just pray that tonight you are given all the glory and that we're just all gathering here today to praise who you are. Nothing, nothing gets in the way of that. Father, I just pray your spirit convicts us with this tonight. I just pray as we dive into this text that we're challenged by it, Lord, and it leads us before your throne and it convicts us. It convicts us hard about some, maybe where some priorities have been misaligned in our lives. And Lord, that we might be choosing a lot of good things in our lives, but you are the better thing. It's not even close. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. All right, so if you guys want to follow along in your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke chapter 10 tonight, as you saw up on the screen. Uh, we're going to be taking a look at a, at a, out of a text in here, and, and this is during Jesus' ministry where he was constantly out teaching, uh, moving from place to place, raising up and sending out disciples, being busy, okay? He had a pretty busy three years in, in, there in, towards the end of his ministry, um, uh, but, you know, but here they get to this place of kind of a place of rest, all right? Verse 38 through 42 in chapter 10 says this. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had been made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all this work by myself? Tell her to come help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one, Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Okay, so just a little backstory here. This isn't just like the first run-in that Jesus had with these two, okay? Um, in fact, he had probably developed a very close, keen relationship with them over time, and that's probably what brought him back, him and his disciples back to their house, okay? And, um, we see this relationship in other places in the gospel, specifically John 11, where Jesus raises their brother Lazarus from the dead. Um, and we know from that account that he'd actually known Lazarus and those Mary and Martha for quite some time before, and he'd become very close to them even up until that point, okay? So in John, we see that Jesus had this great love and respect for this family, and it almost seemed like he treated them kind of like his own family. Because I know what it's like to have a family that might not be um, blood, but are just as close, if not closer, to my own flesh and blood. And maybe some of you guys know that as well. I'm very close with my in-laws. They're not blood. Um, might as well be. Um, 
but I'm very close with them. Uh, to this day, I've got a family back home in Scotts Bluff where I grew up uh, that took me under their wing and discipled me when I was growing up, and they, they call me their son. You know, I, I can walk into their house without n- even knocking. I didn't even really have to tell them. They haven't seen me in like two years. I don't even have to knock. I could walk into their house without knocking, and I'm welcomed with open arms. And I pictured that that's kind of what it's like for Jesus here when he came back to this, this town of Bethany, okay? And I, it was like going home without going home, okay? Now, if you had a relationship with a guy, um, and, and especially one as close as kind of we see this one, and this, this, this man spoke with great authority. It was very obvious. And you watched this man raise your brother back to life from the dead. You probably held this ind- individual in pretty high regard, right? And you probably believed that he was who he said he was because he proved it. So these girls, Mary and Martha, more than likely believed that Jesus was the Son of God, Emmanuel, God with us here on earth in, our, in the flesh. So when he shows up, even unexpectedly, you do what you can to be hospitable to him, right? Okay, if you really think that this is the Son of God, you're probably going to go out of your way and be like, yeah, Jesus, come on in, okay? And, and you probably wouldn't even think twice about it. And that's what they did. But the thing is, is Mary and Martha did it in two different ways. And we're going to look at the contrast of that here tonight. Uh, Verse 38 again, it says, As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. Uh, She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. Okay, so here, first let's take just a look at Mary from this little sentence. Let's take a look at Mary's personality. Jesus had come to visit them. And to Mary, the most important thing for her was to be near this Jesus and to listen to him. Now, if this is all we read, it could seem like Mary is just a little lazy, okay? At least that's how our culture would read into this, right? It's like, oh, man, Mary's just sitting around now. Okay, she's, she must be lazy. That's how our culture would read this, right? It, it was Martha who invited Jesus and his disciples into their home. And as we see, it was Martha who was trying to be hospitable by serving her guests. And here was Mary who was just sitting there at the feet, Jesus' feet listening to him talk, Anybody with that frustrate anybody else? Okay, so we get this idea of Mary's mentality, but then we see Martha's mentality, and it was much different, right? Verse 40 says, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. Okay, I kind of picture Martha as the oldest child. I'm married to an oldest child, so I feel like I have some experience with this. <laughs> um, but with Martha, you know, she seems to be extremely practical and efficient, which like describes my wife, okay? And and she likes things done in a certain way, which also describes my wife. So I think I kind of understand Martha a bit. Um, And does that seem fair by reading this? Now, here's the thing. I want to make sure I'm very clear with this because my wife's here, but there's nothing wrong with being practical and efficient, okay? There really isn't anything wrong with having a plan in mind and wanting to get it executed in a practical and efficient way. And in this instance, she probably, Martha probably wasn't expecting these people in her home, right? You know, while she was glad that they were there, I'm, I'm sure she was, she knew that there were things that needed to get done so that they could be taken care of while they're staying there. Guys, I'm telling you, this is my wife, okay? She loves to show hospitality to people, okay? It's one of her greatest spiritual gifts, and I'm constantly blown away by it, okay? If people would show up unexpectedly, which has happened to us a number of times, she wouldn't even hesitate to let them into our home, okay? We've kind of established that at a very early point in our marriage that we, pretty, we have an open home to people most of the time, except middle schoolers. Um, that's a different story. But, 
But, and because she's an oldest child, she just kind of develops a plan quickly to get things done, to make it possible, and I receive my marching orders. Husbands, amen? Okay. And, and she's always very practical and efficient to the way she understands the situation, okay? So I just jump on board. Guys, and, and that is what I see here with Martha, all right? And, and it's not a bad thing, okay? Martha gets kind of a bad rap here, okay? But she is doing what she knows best and how she best knows how to do it right? This is her way of serving, and she thrives in it. Like, this is where Martha comes alive. Like, she's just, man, a bunch of people staying at me last minute. Okay, let's go. This is where Martha comes alive. Okay, so let's read what happens next. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him, Jesus, and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Okay, this passage makes me laugh, and I'll tell you why. Okay, it says that Martha was distracted by everything she had to do. Anybody else ever been there? Okay. I'm sure we've all been there, okay? We just said we were busy. That means we've probably been distracted, okay? But if you're distracted, you're being distracted away from something else, okay? There has to be kind of two things there for the distraction to come into play. Okay, so what is Martha being distracted from? Well, clearly, Mary had a different take on the whole situation, right? So she was spending time with Jesus and listening to him speak. The thing that Martha was being distracted from in Mary's eyes was Jesus himself. But because Martha was distracted, she speaks to Jesus and says, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me with all this work to be done by myself? Tell her to help me. Okay, this is what makes me laugh, okay? She begins this dialogue with calling Jesus Lord. Let that sink in for a minute. Okay, she is calling him Lord, calling him her master, referring to him as someone she takes orders from. A Lord is someone who has power over his servants, which in this case would be Martha. But she says, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all this work by myself? Tell her to help me. Okay, Martha means well here, okay? She does. But she questions Jesus about his heart for her in the situation, and then she proceeds to tell him what to do. (laughs) Okay, if Martha isn't an oldest child, I don't know anything in this world, okay? And, but I really do think that she is calling Jesus Lord because she believes him to be so. I really do believe that. But she is still distracted, and she still has her own plans, her own agenda, and her own busyness to take care of, and she uses that as the guide for her actions. All the while, there's Mary sitting at Jesus' feet, just soaking it all in. There's another account of this same visit in the book of John, in chapter 12. And I want to read uh, about Mary some more. Um, I don't, I might, I think you do have it up there, but it says, Then six days before the Passover, Jesus and the disciples came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of a very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Mary was so humble, so in love with Jesus, that she dumped some very expensive perfume all over his dirty, nasty feet. She cleaned it off with her hair and stunk up the place. So guys, I want to make this clear. It's not that Mary wasn't about serving Jesus like Martha was. Don't get that mixed up, okay? Because they both, they both just had very different approaches to it. 
Martha was so comfortable with Jesus, so close with him, that she could call him Lord, yet express her frustrations with him. Okay? But she might have missed the point of this whole situation because Jesus responded to her like this. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Or indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. Has anyone been, ever been so distracted that they, really, they miss what's really right in front of them? Like what's really important right in front of them? Maybe it's during the holidays when family's all together and you're so stressed out about just getting the meal put together. Or, or maybe it's coaching your kid's sports team or, or helping out at a church event or on a date with your spouse. We get so caught up in all the details and the busyness that we miss the point sometimes. Was what Martha, was, what, was what she was trying to do good? Yes. Are many thing, of the things that we busy ourselves with good? Yes. But they're just things. Look at Jesus' word again. He said, Martha, Martha, the Lord has answered. Or the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are need, needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. Guys, Jesus challenges her perspective. He's saying, yes, Martha, things do need to be done, but not as many as you think. Not if you really have the big picture in mind. And really, if you really think about what's going on right now, there's just one thing. And that's what Mary has chosen. And you know what, Martha? It's better. It's so much better, and it won't be taken from her. Guys, and that thing, once again, was to sit at the feet of her Lord, of Jesus Christ, and just to be still with him, to listen to his words, to soak, it, soak him up into her own spirit. Here's my question for you guys today. Are you choosing what is better? Are you choosing the good part of this life that God has blessed us with through his grace? Matthew 6.33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Colossians 3.1-3 says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on the things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. You see, it's not, it isn't that choosing other things isn't good. It is that they're, they're not, they aren't what is better. They aren't what is really important. And that is, just, and that is what we're called to focus on. No matter what our culture says, no matter what our culture worships, no matter, no matter what our culture pushes on us, we're called to focus on Christ. First, and there's not, nothing even close before second place. I mean, that's a, just a huge gap. Because, <laughs> folks... We fill our schedules up with a lot of things, don't we? Uh, you guys all rose your hand. Do it again. Who gets too busy? Just be honest with it. Guys, Martha had stuff to do, good stuff, just like what you're raising your hands about. So she filled her schedule up to get them done. But here's the thing, and I want to challenge you with this tonight. This might seem kind of in your face, but I'm okay with it. When we fill our schedules up with a lot of things to do, we start thinking that relationships are a waste of time. I want you to hear that again. When we start filling up our schedules, filling up our schedules with a lot of things to do, we start thinking that relationships are just a waste of time. And this isn't usually done intentionally, but it's true. We start thinking that to have time for the relational parts of things in life, including our relationship with God, is just we don't have time for it, right? 
We just have too much on our plate. And Mary wanted to be with Jesus, to be close to him, invested in their relationship. And that was the most important thing to her. And Jesus says it was the better thing. But Martha, when she was so focused on other things, she forgot how important the relationship aspect was. It wasn't what she was doing was bad. It was good. That's how she was serving. But it wasn't what was better. So I want you to ask yourself this question. Am I believing that relationships and and rejoicing in Christ is a waste of time, and be honest. Most of us say, well, no. But be really honest, and look at your schedules. Okay, look at your schedules and your priorities that you make, and, and how you might be worshiping and pursuing busyness. And do those, ask yourself, do those decisions show uh, that you see relationships and rejoicing in Christ as a waste of time? And then ask yourself this other question. Aren't those two things really what the whole Bible's all about? I think they are. But it takes stillness before God, allowing that relationship to be at the forefront of everything, for that to be our main focus in life. And it is the better way because relationships, especially our relationship with God, they're never a waste of time. I'm not saying this to guilt you. I'm not saying this to make you feel bad about how, you know, where you've been at with these. I'm just saying it to hopefully convict you like the Holy Spirit's convicted me through this, just as Jesus did here with Martha. Now, one of the big challenges with this is just of this understanding that choosing to be still before God it, um, is realizing that the rest part of it, like being still before God, is actually better. It's easy to talk about. It's easy to say. It's easy to justify in wor- words. But we have to realize that it's harder to live out, right? Because, uh, because we, we live in this culture that goes against this, and it almost seems unnatural to us. And, and I get that. I, you know, I struggle with that too. Like just to be still for a day, just to get away, to be still before God, seems so unnatural to us. But putting Jesus first above the busyness, making him your top priority is so much better. And that's what he's trying to get across to Martha here. It's what we're called to seek out in our lives. It's what we're called to truly pursue. And when we do, everything else falls into place because the Holy Spirit will lead us where we need to go. And he will take care of us through that leading. So we need to start trusting God with this part of our lives. Trusting that if we are still before God and truly resting in him, that he's going to take care of the stuff that we need to get done through how he's leading us through the Holy Spirit. That's a tough challenge. I know it's hard for me. I like to control things too much for that to take place. And it's not saying to be irresponsible just to make these use. So, sorry, I didn't get that report in. I was spending time with God. That's not what it's about at all. But it's about how we're putting our priorities in our life and what we're really, how we're shaping our schedules and our busyness and, and how we're spent, uh, treating relationships in our lives. So here's what I want to do tonight. I want, I want to read a passage out of Psalms 46. And I want to practice this a little bit. Okay, I want to take some time just to be still and to meditate on this. I'm going gonna, I'm to have you guys close your eyes. And I'm going to read this passage a few times slowly so you can really soak in the words. Guys, I know it's going to seem awkward. It's going to seem unnatural. And it may seem like you don't want to do it, but I want you to do it anyways, okay? Oh, so go ahead and close your eyes. I'm going to read this passage to you. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. 
There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at, at the break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done. The desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shield with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. God is our refuge and strength an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam, the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at the break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice, the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done. The desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. But he says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Father God, we, we come before you tonight just still. We acknowledge that we don't do this near enough. We acknowledge that we fill our lives with busyness and that because of that, we oftentimes miss our opportunity to come before you and just call you Daddy, Papa, Loving Father. Lord, I pray for each of us in this room that we learn to take time in our lives to come before you in stillness. That we take the time to reject the notion in our culture that busyness is some sort of badge of honor and that stillness is, is some sort of, sort of cone of shame. I pray that we learn to come before you without an agenda, to just be present at your feet like Mary, just listening to your words, to the life flowing out of you, to, to the calm that comes from being by your side. Father, nothing in this world compares to you. You are our strength. You are our refuge. You are you. And so we have nothing to fear in this world. It doesn't matter how, how busy the world around us is. It doesn't matter the circumstances of the world that surrounds us. You are God. You always have been. And you always will be. And that is always enough for us. Lord, I pray that we as a church become a church that learns to be still before you, that calls you Lord and realizes that that is what you truly are. We are your people whom you have chosen to love unconditionally. Lord, may we never put, cert, er, put conditions on our times spent with you. May you always be our top priority and that everything else flows from that. Lord, may, be, may we be still. 
And may we know that you are God. May we be still just for a few moments right now, just, just in silence before you right now, and just know that you are God.